doing and he and I have met a few times uh, in my role here with KBC and talking and uh, being able to do that and encourage and and the first time I met him uh, he wanted to meet me and talk to me about something and we did and what I found interesting was uh, he had the answers already he knew what he was going to do and uh, he is one of the most impressive young men uh, I've, I've been able to meet with and uh, as well. And I said it was just really impressive to me personally because in my role as a, a consultant, uh, I've spent most of my uh, m- my ministry uh, working in conflict resolution or working in leadership development. I taught at Southern Seminary and I just came back from Wake Forest teaching there at Southeastern Seminary a year ago and had been there a number of years teaching pastoral theology is what they like to call it. It's a big name, but it's how to be a pastor. I call it personality 101 because uh, a lot of our young men getting in ministry today have good ideas, but they don't always relate well to somebody else. Uh, and, and if you are doing what you're doing as a shepherd, I have to say your pastor, uh, he wanted to make sure that when I came, I knew what the routine was. He knew and he wanted me to make sure as well. I, I, I was understanding of what was going on. He even told me, he said, now, Belair, I usually preach about 40 minutes or less. And I went. I got it. <laughs> I said, mine don't last that long a lot of times because if you watch people very quickly, you find out blood flows to the other brain. And when it does, their mind is gone at that point. At least the top one is uh, at that point. And you can tell that very quickly in, in doing it. The reason I say that about Brad in that is he loves his sheep. And he loves being a shepherd of this flock. And uh, I thank God for that because I hear a lot of things that are going on across the state and especially in the western region. Uh, there are 506 churches and it goes from Hopkinsville to Henderson and all the way to the rivers from the river counties all the way to Hickman where nothing good came out of Hickman until I had gone there. And then I have friends of mine that are here tonight uh, that are uh, Tommy and Renee or today, uh, Tommy and Renee, uh, Emily's uh, uh, mom and dad are here. And uh, and it was just one of those things, being able to reconnect with them. But it goes all the way from Hickman all the way up to Sturgis, all the way to that 506 churches and 13 associations, Baptist associations there. And a lot of those churches are not in good health because a lot of them set in areas to where the population is exiting quickly. And out of, as a result of that, the entire de- demographics, the entire economy, everything is being re, uh, everything is being shifted and everything's being affected. And a lot of our churches that once existed uh, and were healthy, and, and this is not uncommon to run across several churches in your area, not here, but in this region that I'm in, along the river counties, especially those that touch the Ohio or Mississippi, uh, it's not unusual to find smaller churches that once ran 50 down to about 10 or 12 right now. With some of the younger being in their 70s. Uh, so it's just a matter of time. So some of these churches are affected. Part of what we do in Kentucky Baptist, with your help, is to try to assist them and work with them and talk about things like legacy. Uh, is there a partnership? Is there something that can do uh, be done to help make this healthier? Churches like yours are an example, I think, right now of something that's good as well, too, because you're having to make some shifts. Uh, as I look around here, I, I knew when the seats get, were uh, brought in, and I look around here, you're hitting a near capacity because one of the things people do not do at times 
is search for a seat. Uh, they're going to find a place to go. And, uh, and as they do that, a lot of churches go through those growth cycles and they'll go through an up and a down as a result of that and doing it. And I say that to say all this. Those are challenges. But you've got a man of God and you've got some folks I've already met and I've heard him talk about uh, that are willing to accept that challenge and be able to move into it in a way to where the next generation has an opportunity to know Jesus Christ and his love. What a blessing that is, isn't it? I love the fact that Kentucky Baptists are tied in this way. We not only help young people today and and I know with what you I saw in your bulletin as well as what Brad has said already about uh, Phil coming here, Phil Justice and Sunrise Homes and the commitment you have to that and the commitment to the missions that are taking place around the world. But my friend, all of that falls apart if we aren't healthy right here. And that's the key to this, being able to be healthy ourselves so that we can help others in doing that. I'm going to look at Isaiah 42 is what I'm going to look at. I want to talk about in Isaiah 42, what is the heart of a servant? What does it look like? Somebody will say at times to me, I want you to know my heart. How do I know somebody's heart? We live in a world today where it's hard to trust people. People come knocking on your door all the time. And when they do, they want to try to sell you something. Nowadays, they don't have to worry about knocking on your door. They call you as you're sitting down to dinner. It happens all the time, doesn't it? Uh, I just let it go to voicemail a lot of times if I don't know the name on it. And then I'll try to check it later. But a lot of those don't even go to voicemail. And if you answer it, you got that divine pause is what I call that. Because when you run into that divine pause, you know there's nobody on the other end of that line yet. They're just sending out what they call robocalls. Uh, and if somebody will answer and stay there long enough, they got something that you needed all your life. You just did not know it yet. <laughs> Well, I don't trust a lot of folks as a result of the world we live in today. So how do we develop trust? How do we develop something that the world needs today? I say to you men around us today, we need role models for younger men. Now, I have to say, this is something that's a truism to me. I've never been a woman, nor have I desired to be a woman. Now, in our present climate, that could be a volatile statement in some places, I know. But I never have. And as a result of that, I don't know how a woman thinks. been married to one now for 42 years. And I still don't know how women think. I just listen for my next set of orders. Marines know how to do that. I don't take orders well, but I do know how to take them. Well, the reality of it is we're living in a day and time where young men today need to know they have a role model of what a man should look like and how a man should behave. Younger girls need the role model. Titus chapter 2 tells us there that it's the older women's responsibility to invest in the younger women. It is the older men's responsibility to be a model of mercy and grace for younger men to know how to behave. Do we fulfill that? Do we do that? Now, what I'm finding in my churches is I visit around churches I've been a pastor of as well as uh, those that I've done interim work with or just fill in and just talking to them at times. There are a lot of young men and a lot of young ladies today that do not know how to behave because they don't have an appropriate role model at home or in their lives 
Or they're living in a context or a circumstance that many times as we pick them up on vans and bring young people to church or children and they may ride with somebody there, they need that example. They need that role model. The challenge of God's word is, what does that look like? Isaiah 42 gives us a role model that is acceptably good for our day and time, but more than that, it is timeless about how you show your heart to another. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, I thank you for Elm Grove Baptist Church, for the ministry you've given them. I lift up Brother Brad and his family, and I ask that you might give them a time of refreshing, a time of challenge, that you might give them wisdom as he leads as the pastor of this church in the days ahead. Father, I'm thankful for him and for his heart. And Lord, it's good to have a lot of knowledge, as he does, but to have such a heart for people. Lord, I'm thankful that when I came in today, it's a friendly church, not just among themselves, but a number of folks that would come and approach me and that would uh, talk to me, not knowing even whether I was a speaker or not. Father, I'm thankful for that because many of our churches today may be friendly among themselves, but not to a guest or a visitor. They may be even uh, at times when you go there, cautious or guarded in some way. But Father, I'm thankful today that we've been in the presence of a group of folks that love you. We gathered this morning to honor you and to say thank you for your love and your grace. To say thank you for the death on the cross for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For that one that may be here and lost without Christ, I pray that you might speak to them. For the men and women who do know you as Savior, that we might examine our hearts and our lives that we might look more like Christ and the areas that we find wanting, that we surrender them to you. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 says, This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coast and islands will wait for his instruction. You know, as you begin to look at this, you look at the statements here. Isaiah is broken up in basically three different sections. And it's like a parade driving in front of you. You see elements of it as it moves along. The first part is where Israel has been. And where Israel is now becomes a second part. The third part is that which is to come. The promises of the Lord and his ability to build them, to bring them out of where they are. Isaiah is there as the high priest and prophet. Before Israel would fall into bondage, those three exoduses that would take place there by the Babylonians, the Egyptians, and how they would be incarcerated during that time during those eras like that we find some of these being imprisoned even jeremiah being one of those isaiah is here though speaking about that which is to come now we're in the middle section as you look at isaiah here because in this section 
he talks about the ideal servant that is coming. It's funny how it talks about it. Jesus would call himself this same idea. In the New Testament, the most common name Jesus called himself is Son of Man. You'll find in Isaiah, the Son of Man is where that's postulated or where it's brought out at times. And as he begins to talk about the Son of Man, what he's trying to say at that point, Jesus Christ is God in flesh. We call that the incarnation. But it's when Jesus, who is eternal, he is God in flesh, and he comes to this earth in this transformation that took place. And all he did, and this is what's odd about this. I couldn't imagine this. He set aside not his glory as the son of God, the second part of the Godhead. He set aside all of this that was recognizable, and he took on flesh like you and me. And he became hungry for the first time. He was able to be rejected, spit upon, and eventually die like you and I. He took our pain and our punishment upon himself. And on his way to the cross, he demonstrated these traits of an ideal servant. And this is the reason I say it's, it's important as you look at Isaiah's long book that it is. Uh, out of all these chapters, it's broken into three separate sections. The first section, here's where they fail. But sound like your life, my life many times that we live long enough. Here's all the failures I had, but it didn't stop there. I got them all through each one. I know I'm the only one here probably that's that way that has failures in other times in my life. It is hard to be honest with you at times for me to be as humble as I am because I have been such a blessing to so many. <laughs> what happened there? I don't know what that was. <laughs> you know, sometimes we want to pat ourselves on the back like that, don't we? And the minute we do, it's all, I'm almost like that child. I don't want to be too crude here, but you ever seen those little kids trying to show out and they spit and then it just kind of falls right on their shirt? That's really embarrassing when you're in front of a bunch of folks like that. Or you're going to take that major big step and you stumble. You're going to pull up and shoot that last great three-second shot. It reminds me of the kid growing up at times. That's where Israel is. They have failed again and again and again. I remember as a child saying at times, here's what I'm going to do. I go three, two, one, and I'm outside. Nobody else around. And I shoot and I go, Larry makes the last... Three, two, one, Larry... Three, two... And I go on and on and finally I go... Good, I finally hit it, now I can quit. That's the way my life is. That's the way many of our lives are. People see the outside, and we can shave, we can take a shower, hopefully use soap, deodorant. Those are modern conveniences. Not everybody gets into that, I know. Brush your teeth, gargle. Do all the things that kind of make you smell better than you really are. And we can put on the outside, but who you are is on the inside. Isaiah pointed out the outside in the first part. Now he's pointing out the difference that can be made on the inside. The inside is the great Messiah who would come. Who would demonstrate his grace and his mercy. And he gives us here a pattern of the coming Messiah. I first want you to see it like that as we talk about it. This is a pattern of Jesus himself. And these are the traits that he talks about here. 
And yet he talks about what you and I can embrace as well. First one he talks about in verse 1, here is my servant whom I uphold. Dependence. Dependence upon God. You're going to depend upon somebody. You're either going to depend upon yourself, your knowledge, your money, your status, your position. My daughter was going to a school, and uh, this is a school I, uh, <coughs> this is when I moved from uh, Hickman, where I was, where I got to know uh, Tommy and Renee and Emily when she was just a little girl. And, and I remember when I was pastor there, I moved to Ballard County. I'm from Ballard County, right in the middle of God's country, wonderful and this is a part of that too as well. So some of y'all look at me like been there, you know, well, I, you know, it's just wonderful. But I used to tell my kid this all the time. You're in high school. You know, high school is made up of people who have the name of a parent and that name of a parent somehow may give them status in small county schools. And some kids relish in that status. My name never really carried much of that. And I told her when she went there, get ready because it's going to happen. But I said, here's the beauty of it is you'll live or you'll live and learn. When you graduate from high school and even before you leave there, you don't have to be a part of that. But but before you leave there and even as you move off into life, it no matter, it does not matter who birthed you. It matters what difference you make. And you make the choices right now. What are we going to look like? I could do it in response to somebody else. I'm not, be- I'm not beyond that, to be honest. If somebody does something to me, I-, I-, I want to get back. I want to get even. I've never said I-, I even want to get even. I want to get revenge. It's my human nature. I'm being transparent with you on this and doing things like that. I've had people at times say to me when I was in the, the Marine Corps, and they'd say something like this. Well, I understand you're a Christian. So aren't you supposed to turn your other cheek if I slap that cheek? And I bite my lip and I say, absolutely, yes. And I'll do that. Well, what are you going to do when I slap that other cheek? And I say, Slick, you run out of cheek. It's going to be my turn. That's my humanness. Israel's just like that. The leaders of Israel are just like that. You and I are just like that. Somebody does it to me, I want to cut them off in traffic. Today we can't hardly do anything like that because there are people out there that are nuts that will shoot you for nothing. It's a crazy world. You know why I think then, though? It's why it's now time for you and I to show how crazy we are. To be dependent upon God. And not my name, my past, my credentials. Not to be hung up on my money. I don't have any of that stuff there anyway, so I don't get hung up on it anyway. There's nothing there. But I get to looking at all that stuff and I say, then what am I depending upon? I'm depending upon God. It's nothing to hold the hand of a senior adult. And that, I go back to Miss Lovey there at East Hickman when I was pastor there. I was at the hospital. This is a woman's in her 80s, lives by herself, outlived everybody in her family. And she said, like that, and she's laying on a gurney getting ready to go into surgery. And I was up at Baptist Hospital in Paducah to have prayer with her. And, and she grabbed me by the hand. And what she had, she had something in my hand. And she said, 
Here, I need you to take this. I said, what is that, Miss Love? It's a woman getting in surgery. They're talking to her like in her 80s, late 80s. Don't know if you'll make it or not. Uh, in that, And she said, it's my ties for the next two weeks. I want to make sure I'm paid up and prayed up. Now pray. <laughs> I thought how strange that is for her. But in that, in that moment, you know where her dependence was upon God. My friend, we don't need to lay on a gurney at the age of 80 to be that way. She was that way already. And that's the way we should be. When that happened, it was not unexpected. It was one of those things that you expect because you see that dependence in somebody. Who do we depend upon? Jesus surrendered his entire God nature to the dependence of the Father. Who am I as an exception to that? If Jesus did that, how much more do we need to depend upon him? Secondly was verse 1, my chosen one. In whom I delight. He upholds his chosen one, Jesus. He delights in his chosen one, in verse 1. He said, here I delight in him. I have chosen him. I have uplifted him. And I am delighted in him. Let's seek an approval. Whose approval do you seek? Not unusual for a high schooler or somebody on a basketball or a baseball team or some football team that they're finding approval from somebody. A lot of times as young people, we do it through our peers and we try to find it. There is that point in time that young people break as teenagers. They hit that year when you loved them. And I was just watching uh, uh, with the grandchild for uh, Emily and uh, uh, Emily's child and, uh, and, and Tommy and Renee. His grandchild hanging on to him and talking to him and doing there will be a time that if they are doing that it's because they're trying to do what is called triangulation and counseling and that means they're trying to wedge you between mom so they can get what they want you ever had that happen to you be a grandparent isn't it wonderful when they do that i think they're so cute my grandson at times do this to me and he'll say people it's tough and i go i know son i know my mother was exactly like your mother. She's nothing like me, but just like my mother. I know it's tough. Matter of fact, he even said one time when I said, does your mom ever holler at you? And he said, oh, people. He's like four years old, three or four. Sometimes I think my ears are going to bleed. <laughs> he was sitting back of the Jeep when I was driving back from Paducah. And I, was and I started laughing. And I said, son, that will be between you and me for a long time. <laughs> I don't think she'll get over that too quickly. Uh, but, you know, who do we find approval from? There's that point in time a teenager may prefer their peers over their parents or somebody else. You'll find this interesting, though. In a study, part of what I do in, in my, my teaching at seminary and university was looking at age categories. One of the things I found most interesting was this. Today's teenager looks to this person or persons first for their opinions. You know who it is? Mom and dad. Not their peers. Not some celebrity. Not some athlete. Mom and dad. Now, if they can't find it at home with mom and dad or wherever mom and dad are, if they can't find it with them, they're going to find somebody else. My friend, this means you and I often are the ones that someone is looking for approval. And if we are so distracted and we're not dependent upon God ourselves, what kind of approval are we going to show them and demonstrate to them? 
Who do we seek approval from? It's not who kids are seeking it from. It's who do we seek it from? Because we become that role model for them. Thirdly, here's modesty. Verse 2, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. I find it interesting as I look at that one because the modesty, that Jesus Christ demonstrated modesty. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus, the name, Christ, Messiah. We use that as an English idea, but that idea of there is that, that the name Jesus, Jesus, or, or, or the, the issue is Joshua, Yeshua is the Hebrew, and, and here Jesus, it's the same as Joshua, that God with us, he's right in our midst, in flesh. And he's not only God in flesh, he is Messiah. He is the one coming that will redeem you and me. My friend, if you do not know the saving power of Jesus Christ, you will live a miserable life, but you will die a horrible death because when you wake up in hell, if there is a heaven, there is certainly a hell. And in that, we cannot ignore that. And he came from heaven here to keep us out of hell. Isn't that something? And he was modest about it. The Bible would even say in John that he never went about seeking about him any reputation for himself. However, he went to the Father constantly. Modesty. What a contrast today with some of the self-arrogant preachers I hear today talking about. I remember a preacher saying this when I was young in ministry and he said, I need your help. Send me this money because if I don't do it, it will not be done. And I want to say, you know how sad that is? That's not even good theology because God doesn't need you and me. He does not need us at all. But he wants us because he loves us. And his son died for us. The modesty is not bragging about who we are and what we have, but bragging about whose we are. We belong to him. He is ours and we are his. Being modest in that. Not going around shouting. Empathy, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Something I learned a long time ago in ministry is, God has not called me to be a pastor to shine in front of others. God has called me to be a pastor to represent and reflect Jesus in front of others. And Jesus Christ loved not only those that would do great things in the church, but God sent Jesus and he demonstrated his love for a woman at a well, for a woman taken in adultery. He demonstrated love for those that were broken. And rather than pushing them aside like his own disciples would have had done, he even said, forbid not those little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of God that you and I need to demonstrate that to the world today it's not walking around matter of fact somebody asked me one time because I I got a PhD and was doing that was teaching in seminary and I always said to PhD it you know it's when the PhD is this is that you study more and more about less and less until you know absolutely everything there is about nothing then they give you a PhD. My mother was never impressed with me having a doctorate. 
I could be on campus at seminary and they call me Dr. Purcell. And when I went, when I got to her house, you know, in the South, they always give you that middle name for a reason anyway. And that, that is Larry Joe. Larry Joe, get in here. And I said, Mom, you don't talk to me. Get over here. And, and all of a sudden, I'm kind of, you know, and I said, you're not really impressed with my PhD, are you? And she said, you're what? What is that? Get over here. It's one of those things at times. We live in a world that is impressed with itself. Celebrities walk the red carpet all the time to pat themselves on the back and be impressed with themselves. You know, I think the world today is looking for people that can show love to the most unloving in missions, in the work that you do. I applaud you with what you do with foreign missions and domestic, but... Sunrise Homes, isn't it something? Over 1,200 children right now. Over 1,200, it's almost 1,300 today are being ministered to. And you're partner with that. And many of those are what I call in the world we live in, throwaway kids. They'd be ignored, they'd be neglected, and now they're in homes where they'll be able to go to church and they'll be able to have a difference made in their life. Empathy, showing that. Optimism. He talks about the idea of optimism here in verse 4. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. The greatest characteristic of a leader, a pastor, a father in a home, a mom and dad in a home, is to give to the children hope. You know, I grew up pretty poor. I didn't realize I was that poor. I remember going, I moved to South Bend, Indiana, and it was the same year. And this will show my age here a little bit. And there were some dinosaurs still around at that time. But I remember when we moved to South Bend, Indiana, I'm in the fifth grade, and a new TV program just came on. Now, I'm going from Kentucky to Indiana, from the promised land of Kentucky to Sodom and Gomorrah up in the land of Egypt in the north. And while I'm up there in South Bend, the Beverly Hillbillies comes on television. Somebody said to me, they said, well, you're one of those hicks like those Beverly Hillbillies. I doubled up, hit him in the mouth. I loved him in the Lord at that point and had a conversation. And my dad said, boy, why'd you do that? And I said, he called me a hillbilly. And he said, let me see. We moved here from Kentucky and where we were, the only plumbing you had was in an outhouse out back. We had a pump to pump water in a kitchen. The only fire we had was this warm morning coal stove, and I had an electric blanket. You know what it was? It was where you put bricks on top of that particular hot stove, heat them, get a flannel blanket, roll them up in that, and slide them under the, the mattress that these, th- this, this blanket they had on there, I called it a 40 pound quilt. Cause once you got in it, whatever position you're in, you never moved again. And I ran, and dad told me all that, and he said, now what does that sound like? I said, it sounds like a hillbilly. He said, don't hit nobody for calling you something you are. Be proud of who you are. I had no idea I was that poor till I had something to contrast it with. We live in a world today that's comparing itself to everything else. Compare yourself to Jesus. Modesty, empathy, optimism. Lastly, here's the most important, and we close out. First one, I will put my spirit on him. My friend, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Do you know him? 
If you do not, here in just a few minutes, we're going to have an invitation. And you can sit right where you are. You can stand. You can come to this altar. It's not the position of the body. It's not the place of prayer that it takes place. It's the heart that makes all the difference. Knowing Jesus Christ. When I got saved, I was 14, and I simply said this, Lord Jesus, save me. I'd been exposed in Sunday school and preaching, and I was a member of a group called the RAs back then, and I memorized all this stuff. I was lost as a ball in high weeds, but it didn't matter because even though I was lost, I I was competitive. And they said, you'll get this if you memorize that. And I memorized all these things, and God used that to reach my heart. And I confessed him as Savior. I pray that you'll do that this morning if you haven't already done it. But know this, if you are saved, the anointing is this. Letting Christ reign in your heart and be exposed in your life. What you need to do is commit yourself to Christ, to know him, to grow in him, and to show him among everyone who is around you. One of the greatest opportunities you and I have today is the world needs to see Jesus. They don't need to hear another sermon for somebody on television, or they don't need to hear about something going on somewhere else. What they need to do is they need to know Jesus Christ is alive in you, and they see it. Are you worshiping? Are you involved in Bible study? Are you praying? Are you living for Christ in a way to where you could witness to that person that may see you at work, in your neighborhood, in your family? Are you showing Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we prepare for the time of invitation. and Our worship leaders come. What about you? Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you know Him? Have you trusted Him? You can do it right now. It's not somebody's prayer that you pray. It's the words that you say out of your own heart. Mine again were simply, Lord Jesus, save me. Save me. You can do that right now. If you do that, I ask that you make it public. That you share that with somebody. Either during this invitation, come and tell me. Tell someone next to you. Next week, talk to somebody. My friend, if you're here and you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, do others see Christ in you? Father, I pray that you'll take the time of invitation. I know it's unusual when a pastor's not here and they have that connection, that relationship with him. Father, I pray that you would speak and that we'd respond because you've spoken to us. And Lord, it may be right in the seat where they're sitting now that they need to just repent of some sin that's overwhelming them. They may need to commit themselves to a spiritual regimen of worship and Bible study serving you follower of that role model that you placed here 
that others can see Christ because we live the way he did with the heart of a servant. Bless this invitation. Honor yourself in it in Jesus' name. Amen.